Y se tiene que estirar el arquero. Pásale, le queda otra, ganó arco. ¡Gol! ¡Gol! ¡Miguel Pérez! ¡Gol! ¡De Siri! There it is. That's Santiago Beltran announcing the goal uh, that was scored by Miguel Perez. Santiago's here. Santiago, what'd you think, man? I mean, what were you feeling in that moment? Oh, my God. That was so freaking exciting just to see the hometown kid score for the team and a goal that mattered, like, uh, like Vancouver was pushing to, to score for the equalizer. And um, just to score the goal that will seal the game on the week that he graduated in front of his family, in front of 22,000 people. Like, that's a big graduation party for him. It was an amazing moment and a moment we wanted to start the show off with as well. You're listening to Flyover Footy on the big 550 KTRS. Matt Baker is here with me too. Matt, um, I've never heard the stadium that loud. I think a lot of people are saying that. So I, I'm starting to think that it's probably true. We need a meter, right? We need a decibel meter or something for the stadium. I, I don't know how the club doesn't have a decibel meter and aren't. <laughs> touting that fact because if the if the appearance of Miguel Perez in that match wasn't the loudest his goal was and and that is I'm echoing everything you said everybody I've talked to can't remember a louder atmosphere this year at City Park and a lot have difficulty remembering a louder atmosphere at any sporting event in general it had the perfect mix of of emotion of practicality in the match and we love our local heroes and he's quickly becoming one of them he is. And it just feels like just this ultimate St. Louis thing that we just love our hometown kids. I think more than other sports cities. And maybe it's like this everywhere, but my goodness, um, anytime the guy comes on, anytime anything happens in the, in the, in the game that is involving him, this, the crowd goes wild. And I love it. I love that about this city. And I love that about this club. Uh, but that happened in a game uh, that we won last on Saturday it was a win over Vancouver, 3-1 to one in City Park. And if you want to hear details about that, we do have a flyover fallout show, which talks about every game that we play that comes out the Monday following the game. Uh, at least it has been lately. So uh, we're going to keep that going. If you want to hear in-depth about those games right after the game happens, that is one of the best places to do it, in my opinion. The best, but obviously I'm biased. Um, so we are going to touch on that game just shortly. And, of course, we're going to kick it to Matt if you want to kind of lead us into that and give us a take or two on on the game itself yeah my biggest takeaways from the vancouver game that we can carry forward into the houston dynamo match this weekend i have to start with our defense and coming off of the sporting kansas city match where johnny nelson had been suspended and uh you had a a back line that was kind of in question the unlikeliest of answers turned out to be kyle hebert our now perennial Canadian men's national team uh, roster spot taker who slid over to left back for the first time there. And after only playing 10 minutes, he's now had a couple games to do that. So with a, with a healthy Johnny Nelson, I was somewhat surprised to see Kyle Hebert still in that left back role, though Carnell has said that he likes to ride hot hands. He likes to not shake things up when they're working too well and just let the players form speak for themselves combination to me of Kyle Hebert and Lucas Bartlett, the evolution that they've created in our back line. So despite having a healthy Johnny Nelson available against Vancouver, we went with Kyle Hebert out there. 
And I don't think that while that back line was together and while we had a four-man back line, we saw anything that would give anybody worry about that going forward. We know that we have a, a good Johnny Nelson who's our, our perennial left back. We know we have Joachim Nilsson on the horizon to return. So the back line, if it wasn't packed and crowded already, is going to get that much more pretty soon. But the depth that our back line has is only grown and it was already one of our strongest areas so seeing the flexibility that kyle hebert now allows us when he can slide out to left back giving it a completely different left back look this is not the johnny nelson pressing forward trying to create crosses and chances into nico joachini this is more of a defensive-minded left back who can who can stay deep he pushed forward a few times did seem a little bit uncomfortable in certain areas in the attack but it's just an unfamiliarity and he, he was able to stay within himself and follow the principles he knows as a central defender that served him really well out there to, to really mitigate Gauld and to mitigate uh, uh, Gressel, Julian Gressel. So the work he did is a big factor, I think, going forward in how we can predict what our lineups might be and think about riding the hot hand and some of those depth questions on our back line. Yeah, I think I'd like to actually uh, grow on that um, in the second segment of our show that you can listen to on our podcast. There's a lot to be said there, I think. Um, and it might even come up with uh, who we think might be playing in this next game, perhaps, if we have time. Uh, but Santiago, would you like to give us any big takeaways from this game, from uh, the Vancouver game that we watched? So I really liked, and we talked about this on, on the fallout, uh, I really like what Lucas Bartlett did. He had a great game, uh, lots of clearances. He also blocked a shot that could have been uh, the equalizer for, for Vancouver on the first half. Really like the way he has also grown into the position and the chemistry he has with Tim Parker. Actually had a chance to, uh, to talk to Barlett uh, this, earlier this week. And uh, he was telling me that, yeah, that he, he looks after Tim Parker, that Parker is one of his mentors and that they have a great relationship. And, and you can see that game by game that, that they are getting better. So it's great to see that these young players that are in their first season in MLS are, are doing great, both uh, Barlett and Kyle Hebert. It's great to see. Agree. Uh, my takeaway from this one is something I've been hammering on for a while, and um, that is like whether our attack has figured out uh, the adjustment that MLS teams have made to City. And um, I just think we haven't gotten the proof yet. And I think the fact that Vancouver had to rotate so much and that we saw clearly some uh, mess ups by the goalkeeper and even their back line um, really, um, really, I think, didn't show us like whether we can break down a team that is going to clog up the back. And so um, have, I guess that's what I am constantly wondering, wondering, uh, wondering about whether or not we can take out teams that are just going to bunker against us. We haven't seen one in a little while. I argued that maybe KC wasn't that, you know, I think the Chicago fire game was the team that really got us and made me start worrying. Uh, but one good thing out of that is that teams aren't all doing that to us. 
and uh, we're able to figure out the teams that aren't doing that to us. And I can't wait for us to see a team that, that totally bunkers on us. Um, I'm not sure if that's going to ha- happen against Houston. Maybe it will. We'll see what Matt and Santiago think. Uh, but that's one thing that I'm still watching out for. I, I, the one thing that I've been watching mostly is that I thought when Joe Akini made that adjustment to stay more central and work together with Indy Vasilev, um, you saw like the proof in the heat map um, improvement in him being more focused in the central part of the, the field, more behind in the 18. Um, I thought that was a good development and one that could be the proving ground for us being able to break down teams that bunker on us and in this one i would say his heat map looked slightly more scattered than the previous game but still a little more focused um and so just something to keep an eye on um moving forward in my opinion uh but i don't think we can say we're unhappy with this team at all um we're scoring lots of goals you know like maybe the underlying stats aren't saying that we should be where we are but doggone it we are there aren't we that we are. And what I will say on Indiana Vasilev is the last game, and really ever since he moved up into uh, that central attacking midfield, one of the stats that we talked about last week, which is the shot-creating actions, it's those two uh, two movements or two kind of moments before a shot, and it doesn't have to be the, the pass. It can be drawing a foul. It can be you know anything related to moving the ball and getting into a position to shoot a shot or to shoot the ball. And Indiana Vasilev has risen, actually. So his first game against Sporting Kansas City, he was third on our team in those shot-creating actions. Last week against Vancouver, he led the team. So he's getting better and more comfortable and doing more. And like you said, moving moving himself around the field a little more, not staying as confined, and doing a whole lot, as you would kind of expect a, a prototypical number 10 to do in creating those those opportunities and those chances all around the field. And by leading our team ahead of Edward Leuven, ahead of Nico Joachini, it really hammers home to me that we've found um, – I, I, I still hesitate to say we've found a solution to without Klaus. It's just that we've found another option to go to when we need to. It's that it's that answer to the blueprint that teams have on us that we had with Klaus and trying to use Nico Joachini in the Klaus-specific role. And so Indiana Vasilev has provided that second look. And to me, long term, when Klaus returns and you have moments and you have games where Klaus isn't isn't doing it, the teams have shut him down. You now have something to pivot to that we've seen two games in a row work. So how seeing how Indiana Vasilev does against Houston is going to be huge for me because if he can continue carrying that momentum on, there's there's just so much positivity that will bring to our team long term. You're listening to Flyover Footy, and we're a St. Louis podcast. We talk about soccer. We get pretty in-depth. We are a podcast as well. If you'd like to look in all the places where you might get your podcast, we're there. Feel free to leave a, um, a review, if you will, a rating of any kind, and send us questions on DMs. We get to those um, in our extended podcast, so please do look forward to that. But right now, you're listening to us on the big 550 KTRS, and I hope you're enjoying the show. We like to do a little preview. Actually, we try to dig pretty deep on the preview. Thanks to Matt Baker here. He gets us all the stats, and he's going to get us started with some like surface information here to dig into Houston. Matt, what do you got for us? 
Well, the first thing I got is some updates on some key players. So this week, everybody's been wondering, where's Klaus? Where's Rasmus Alm? What are the updates? I mean, there was even a question, where's Caden Glover? Because Caden mm -hmm. Glover was supposed to travel with the U16s to Japan for a few matches and didn't end up going. Picked up a knock on his rib, uh, had to had to return and do some regen work. He's, he's recovering, but he wasn't able to go with U16s. The things that will affect Houston, though, are Klaus and Alm. So Klaus didn't train with the team on Tuesday or Wednesday, but he was back with the team in drills on Thursday. Rasmus Alm, who had been training with the team, developed a contagious eye infection. Of all things, an eye infection after everything he's been through. Prevented him from training on Wednesday. He was back with the team, though, on Thursday. Good news. Bradley Carnell in his pregame presser said that Klaus did part one of training today, meaning Thursday. Alm is fully integrated and available to travel and dress. Klaus, one more day, but it might be a game too soon. and We have to think about turning it around for Wednesday. So it's sounding like Klaus probably won't be a go for the Houston game. The Wednesday game next week, so I'll just really quick, against FC Dallas is a restart or a resumption from our, our abandoned game where we will have the same players available, the same cards apply, the same rosters going from that game that was abandoned. So neither Klaus nor Alm were on that roster, so they should not be available for that Wednesday match. It's going to be interesting to see how we're able to manage this game against Houston without Klaus, with a returning Alm, and then Jared Stroud. We'll touch on that <laughs> here in a little bit, but Jared Stroud is also unavailable to go, not due to health or injuries, just due to his yellow card accumulation finally coming up to him. And I know you have thoughts later on on that, Phil, but Bradley Carnell, one other quote I will say real quick before I let you unleash on Jared Stroud. He, Bradley Carnell said, when we need players or when we always say we're missing a striker, we're missing this or that, we always seem to find a way, and that's a sign of a good team. So I want to reinforce that as we're looking to go into Houston without Klaus and likely without Alm for more than, uh, more than his first initial 15, 20 minutes. I love that quote. I want to bring that up later. Um, Santiago, actually, no, real quick, you know, Stroud has that yellow because there was a whistle blown for a foul. He dribbled it twice and kicked it to the goal. Like after the play was dead, he did all those things. He has amazingly gone, what, three, four games without getting suspended, without getting that last yellow. He's lasted so long. It's been really impressive. I was proud of the guy. And then he does that. It just makes no sense. It is such an idiot it, move. <laughs> you think it was on purpose, though? I wondered the same. I wondered. I think we should touch on that later. <laughs> but for now, actually, yeah. uh, I, would, I would love to hear Santiago's thoughts on training this week or anything uh, leading up to the game for Houston. Yeah, so obviously it looks like another week without Klaus. The only way for Klaus or Am to be at that game is if somebody gets from the original line, lineup gets injured. There are some rules that you can replace an injured player with another player. So far, the team is healthy and nobody else is injured besides those two. But um, I think um, I hope that Klaus is back um, for the game against LA Galaxy on June 11th. But just thinking about it, like there's no need to rush. The team has figured out a way to uh, play without him, has scored seven goals um, the last two games. And uh, hopefully Rasmus Alm can be back for a few minutes. What's interesting is that when he came back from his previous injury, he played the 90 minutes. And I remember Carnell saying like he was available for the previous game, but we wanted to have him like, for a full game from from 
on the starting lineup. So I'm not sure if the same will apply for this game. And maybe maybe he will dress, but he won't be in the game. Also, a lot of it will depend on how the game is going. If City is already winning, maybe he will come for a few minutes. Or the same thing, if, if, if it is a very close game, maybe he won't come. But... But it'll be interesting to see if uh, they go with with that same uh, line of thought of uh, him playing since the beginning, uh, which in that case, I think they will wait for another game, or if he will do the regular 15, 20 minutes that our players have done when they come back. Yeah, that's actually a good point about Alm. And you think with him being unavailable on Wednesday against Dallas, that would add a little credence to the fact that we might see more of him if he's fully fit, ready to go. And I like the context of... The last go-around, he kind of saw more minutes than we were expecting. We're already going to be down a little bit without Klaus and Stroud. So you're looking at, we we rotate our attackers regularly, so you're looking at guys like Celio Pompeo, Nico, Tomas Ostrak, Indiana Vasilev, Isak Jensen, and Aziel Jackson being some of our primary attackers. That's not a whole lot of depth up there. And so Rasmus Alm going as much as he can go is is going to be pretty important. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, perhaps we see more of him because of that Dallas game and uh, him not being able to play in it. Uh, Matt, I'm going to leave it to you. We've got a lot of things we could pivot to. Why don't you take us where you'd like to go? Let's start by setting the stage for these two teams going into St. Louis v. Houston. So St. Louis City sits second place in the West with 25 points. We have one game in hand with LAFC, two games in hand uh, to Seattle, and we have an 8-4-1 record, 29 goals scored, and a plus-15 goal differential. We sit 5-2 and two at home. In the league, St. Louis is tied for first in goals and has the lead in goal differential. Bradley Carnell said today on that, we know we have a, a bank of games in hand at home, and we know we have two games up on some opponents, and we're still where we are. We like playing under a little bit of pressure, and we challenge each other internally. These little challenges we put on ourselves along the way, I think we do well under a little bit of our own pressure. So St. Louis having some of these games in hand that we're going to see in June. They've had a nice little stretch here where they're playing one game every week. On the inverse of that, where St. Louis sits second in the West, Houston Dynamo come into this ninth in the West with 18 points. They have a 5-6-3 and three record, five wins, six losses, three draws, with 15 forward, minus three goal differential, and they are 0-5-2 away. Houston Dynamo have not won a match on the road yet so far this season. They have only scored more than two goals one time this year on April 8th against the LA Galaxy. And some of the interesting stats for Houston coming into this game that kind of paint the picture of how they're going to play that we're going to get to in a few minutes is that Houston Dynamo are last in the league in key passes with 107, those passes that lead directly to uh, a chance or an opportunity. They only have 107 of those, but they have 5,727 completed passes. So very, very few percentage of them. So low, last in the league in key passes, but they are towards the top in overall completed passes. St. Louis, in comparison, has 113 key passes with 3,629 completed passes. Far lower overall, but more key passes by St. Louis. Houston Dynamo also sit 21st in the league in expected goals per 90 with just 1.09. So they're expected based on their shots and their chances and their positioning to score just 1.09 goals per 90 minutes. And then this season, Houston Dynamo have a new head coach at the helm in Ben Olsen, longtime DC United coach. He's getting, like you said, Phil, a little bit of a new life in his career. And he's coming into this uh, where the term that I heard coined was Benny Ball, very defensive-minded that we're going to talk to when we talk about their style here in a little bit. Uh, looking at where the two teams come into this, 
from their last few games. St. Louis's form the last three are 2-1-0, two, two wins, one loss, and, a, and no draws. Last week, we obviously just got done talking about the 3-1 win at home against Vancouver. Before that, we had a 4-0 win against Sporting Kansas City. And then before that was our 1-0 loss at Chicago. Houston Dynamo, by comparison, their last three matches are 1-1-1. One, one, and one. They had a midweek match where they lost against Vancouver 6-2 on Wednesday. They won against Austin last weekend 2-1, and they tied FC Dallas before that. In between that, they've been active participants in the U.S. Open Cup. So while we've had somewhat of a break between uh, getting bounced from the U.S. Open Cup and LAFC, who is supposed to be our midweek opponent this week, playing instead in CONCACAF Champions League, we've had rest. Houston Dynamo have not. So the Houston Dynamo have had a 4-0 win in the U.S. Open Cup in their last match. And after this Vancouver game, not unlike what Sporting Kansas City had to do before that, the Houston Dynamo flew straight to St. Louis Wednesday night, and they're practicing Friday, I hear, at Herman Stadium. Hmm. So they're practicing locally uh, to St. Louis. They're having to deal with their 11th match in 43 days, and they're going to continue having two matches a week through June 14th. Their record during this period in MLS is 2-3-2. and They had three U.S. Open Cup victories, but this next week where we play FC Dallas, they're going to play Chicago Fire on Tuesday in the U.S. Open Cup. A lot of things going on, a lot of juggling that the Houston Dynamo are having to do with their fixture congestion. Santiago, I see you nodding your head a lot. I find it interesting that they get to play on beautiful grass at Herman Stadium instead of us sending them out to SIUE or something. Um, but yeah, the, the the game congestion. What kind of what's what things were striking you there, Santiago? Yeah, no, definitely their fixture congestion and knowing that they have a key game on Tuesday against Chicago Fire for U.S. Open Cup means that we may see some rotation on their lineup on Saturday if the real focus is uh, the Open Cup, if they want to uh, maybe rest some of the starters for Tuesday. Yesterday, they used the same lineup they used against Austin FC, but they made a couple of substitutions after the 60th minute. Um, so, and Bradley Carnell alluded to that today when, when we were talking to him. He said, yeah, they, they had some early substitutions, either um, resting them for Saturday or maybe thinking about Open Cup. So it'll be interesting to see if they rest some of their guys. But uh, Carnell said, we, we will still prepare um, for Houston. We will do what we can control. We won't worry about what lineup they will use. I, we know that they have some good players. Um, he talked about uh, Hector Herrera being, being one of their key players, being good with the set pieces. Um, but yeah, I think CC, uh, City is not going to worry about that and um, just plan um, for the game and for, for the team and then see what Houston comes out with on Saturday. But I, I have a feeling there will be some rotation because quarterfinals of the Open Cup, their season is not going that well. Um, they're, they're in play of contention, but I think they're probably going to, at least this quarterfinal match against Chicago, just put all their money in it and, and try to get to the semifinals, knowing that that could put them closer to a, to a CONCA champions spot. 
it's a point well made, and I loved your point in, in Fallout about why the goalkeeper might have been played, why Hazal might have might have played in that last game against Vancouver. All these uh, domestic cup games matter to teams depending on who they are, and the later they get, the more value they hold. So that was really good stuff there, Santiago. Matt, I love this Carnell quote that you added about the pickup points. And I would love to talk about their style of play and what we might see. I don't know if you want to lead with stats or kind of go straight into the discussion there. Yeah, let's let's go straight into the discussion. Let's look at some of the styles. I think that's one of the more important things. We could talk about stats and how Vancouver is the second lowest number of shots, or Houston has the second lowest number of shots, Houston's 24th in interceptions, all those things. But stylistically, this seems like it should be a favorable, favorable matchup for City, uh, at least the way that Houston has been playing lately. So St. Louis, we know, is the most direct in their attack. They have the second fewest passes per sequence to only to New York Red Bull, so they move the ball quickly, vertically up the field. They don't have very many passes in their overall sequences, so they they make long passes, they have long balls. Houston, in uh, contrast, is 24th in passes per sequence and in sequence time, so they hold the ball a lot, just below Seattle, in fact, if that gives you any context for where they sit. They're also 24th in the direct speed of their attack. So very, very deliberate buildup, uh, very, very deliberate passing sequences that they have. And a lot of that goes through Hector Herrera, who I'll give some interesting stats on in just a second. Houston does like to control the ball up through their midfield and their left wing side especially too. So there's interesting heat maps that look at where a team percentage-wise dominates the field in possession on the entire length of the field. So obviously most teams have their own 18-yard box and just outside. St. Louis City, in fact, has only their 18-yard box and just in front of that where they dominate possession of the ball. Houston, by by contrast, dominates up to midfield and then down their left wing. So you, using some of their some of their very, very heavy ball handlers like Hector Herrera, using Amin Basi, those kind of players who can move the ball well out on the left-hand side. One of my new favorite stats, not really new, but new in the context of what we're talking about here because I don't think I've talked about it, is PPDA. So it's it's gotten a lot of notoriety because the style of soccer in general has shifted more to pressing, less overall possession. And this, this PPDA stands for passes per defensive action. Essentially, it looks at how many passes a team allows their opponent before making a defensive action when you're in the 40, when you're outside of 40% of your own goal. So if you think about, if you think about yours looking at your opponent's goal, Go 40% down the field from your goal. So you have 60% of the field remaining. It's that 60% of the field that you're making a defensive action on. So teams making their passes on their side of the field, near midfield, and then you go and make a defensive action towards the ball in that. Basically, the lower the number, the more pressing you have. And so St. Louis City has the lowest number in the league with 8.9. They allow 8.9 passes in that 60% of the field before they make a defensive action. Houston Dynamo, on the other hand, have 13.3, higher than Kansas City and in 23rd overall in the league as far as going higher pressing down to low pressing. So you can see how their style lets you more move the ball up the field. And so they do not press near as much as St. Louis. To that end, St. Louis remains fourth in high turnovers forced. Houston sits 27th at high turnovers forced. This is not going to be a team that really tries to make us uncomfortable when Tim Parker or Jabulu Bloom has have the ball. They're going to wait until we try to move the ball up into that kind of mid to low block where they're trying to prevent passes from reaching the 18-yard box. Some of the 
uh, weaknesses and strengths of Houston because I feel we know a lot of how St. Louis City is good. St. Louis is great on set pieces. We're great at attacking down the wings. We create long shot opportunities. Uh, we're good in our aerial aerial duels. We're good at stealing the ball from the opposition. We know St. Louis is not good at keeping possession by design. We know St. Louis is good at their uh, or not good at defending counterattacks because that's where teams often hit us. Houston, on the other hand, they're good at shooting from direct free kicks. This game could be a Hector Herrera versus Edu Leuven at the end of the day. And Bradley Carnell said that he expects set pieces to be one of those points. Houston is good at defending set pieces. Houston's good at protecting their lead when they get one, but they're not good at aerial duels and defending against attacks down the wing. This is kind of going to be prevalent, I think, in what we're going to get to as our keys to the game, looking at how we can leverage some of those duels and what we need to do in our wing play. But end of the day, like I said, the ball is played through Hector Herrera. Hector Herrera has 840 pass attempts. The next highest on their team drops down to 737 then 693. And he has 421 of those as accurate forward zone passes. The next highest on their team is 292. This is a massive stat to keep in mind because the ball's going to be played through Hector Herrera, and he's going to be the one who works to create those shot-creating actions in that first and second pass into the box. There's a lot to kind of digest there. Let's Matt, maybe you can highlight some of the things that you mentioned uh, that we can kind of bring back up in discussion here. But um, I love that Carnell quote. I don't think you've read it. Um, but I it didn't. Says, I saved it. Okay, good, 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 good. I was worried I zoned out or something. Uh, but it says, um, I don't know where their pickup points will be, whether they'll sit on top of their box midfield or camp on top of their box. And, um, you know, watching Houston, I a lot of those stats that you just said, really rang true to me um you know i watched them play this game against vancouver which was a wild one and um you know basically the main takeaway that i saw is that they do hold the ball like a lot you you mentioned benny ball this is not benny ball like he's got better players to work with hector herrera quality player um but they boy they pass out of some really crazy situations at times with short passes almost inside their own box um the kind of bold passing from the back that i think we saw against san jose where i was just like i saw them i saw san jose play before we played them as well and i thought st louis city players are licking their chops at this because this is what City feasts on. Like, I think this is a great matchup for City. And when I read this Carnell quote about where their pickup points might be, and I thought, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe if they do bunker against us, they have a chance. No, because I think City will be able to create their chances from that possession. It almost doesn't matter where Houston's going to defend, because if they try to own the ball, City will, will go take it from them and create some chances. We've seen that over and over and over again against teams that want to possess the ball. Yeah, and I think that uh, there was a there was a comment that I want to say it was from Klaus. Actually, oh, it was from Klaus on his City Voice interview. Klaus mentioned, and this was I think before he went injured, but the concept is what you need to remember here. Klaus mentioned that as the as the center forward, it's his responsibility to dictate for the rest of the team where they're pushing and who the, who he's pushing for at, at any given time. So goes the central for, the center forward. So goes the team. So. In this game, if Nico Giochini is the one who pushes on a center back or pushes on the keeper, everybody else moves forward in tandem and they have their assignments and they work to close gaps based on where the center forward is pushing. So depending on if they try to play it out the back from one of the channels in their own defensive end, depending on if the keeper tries to hold the ball too often, uh, Clark might get some pressure from Nico Giochini. If you're looking at 
you know, who, who can change this game from that perspective when Houston is looking to possess the ball and keep it on their end and, and move forward, it's going to be Nico Joachini. It's going to be Celio Pompeu. It might even be Indy Vasilev. It's going to be those, those forwards who really start the chain reaction that can occur and, and prevent them from being comfortable moving the ball with so many passes in their, in the midfield area to get the ball to Hector Herrera. Yes. And Hector Herrera, I'm really, you know, I think of him as like the Mexican villain if you're a U.S. soccer and U.S. M&T fan. And so, you know, like all I want is for City to mark the heck out of him or just like cut him down because, you know, as a USA fan, that's what I would love to see us do to him what he has done to, to USA players in games and yeah. just really not give him a chance to get the ball off of his own feet. I just, I hope he gets angry in this game. I really want to see that because I've seen it in the past and it's the best way to get to Ache Ache, as they say. So um, I would love to see that. <laughs> That's what some people call it. I don't know. Um, Santiago, do you have any thoughts on this, on um, anything that we might see from Houston or how City might be able to attack them? So on, on Hector Herrera, something that um, surprised me when I was watching their game last night um, and the, the announcers were talking about it, they were saying that with Houston, um, his role um, is more of a, an offensive role. Uh, with When he played with Mexico and with Atletico de Madrid and other teams, uh, he was more uh, like a defensive midfielder. With, with Houston, uh, he has more of an attacking role. So... That was interesting to see that his game in MLS has changed, and uh, you can see he has scored a few goals. He has uh, a four assists um, this year, so uh, he's definitely the key player for for Houston. And um, about the way City will play, I I think, uh, and with that quote, Carnell said, "Yeah, like they may may uh, go with a low block or maybe higher up, but." City will know uh, where where to apply the press and stick to um, its principles. Um, but just based on all the stats we're looking at, doesn't look like this is gonna be one of those teams that is just gonna sit back and give City the ball. So um, I think we're safe there, uh, Phil. I agree with you, and I love those thoughts about um, Hector Herrera and, and how he plays now versus what he used to play. Um, you're listening to Flyover Footy. We're a podcast about St. Louis soccer, and we're on the big 550 KTRS, which you're listening to now. So thank you so much for uh, being with us today. You can check out our podcast as well. Uh, we've got, you know, five, ten minutes, Matt, if you'd like to hit something before we do our predictions. I do wonder, in, on that note, so I won't uh, diatribe too long on Hector Herrera, I do wonder if it's a scenario of you're just needing your best, most talented, naturally talented player to do more things with the ball. Because they have Artur, their number six, who plays the number six. And so needing Hector Herrera there, it seems more like a need and you have to spotlight that type of a player. We know the history of Hector Herrera. He's a de designated player for them. We know the the experience he has with Mexican national team captain, the, the trophies he's won in Portugal, in Spain with La Liga, Atletico Madrid, uh, with FC Porto. He says Champions League experience. This guy is, has been through it all. And he's not necessarily one of those guys who come to retire in MLS. He was signed still with a lot of talent, a lot of gas left in the tank. So obviously their most important player. I do want to say, too, that some of the things with Houston are I found that they play the ball really tight to their goal. So Hector Herrera pushing the ball up a lot more than he do, used to in the past. 
Houston only has one goal outside of their 18 yard box this season. Hmm. And it's from Hector Herrera. So they they play the ball inside a lot and Herrera is still dangerous from distance. So two things to keep in mind there. You can't just assume the pass from Herrera. You have to make sure that you're you're covering him, not giving him space to send the ball along on goal. From a defensive perspective, mention Artur is their number six. Houston's not good at intercepting the ball. They have four players with double digits in interceptions. Artur, Franco Escobar, um, Hadebe from South Africa, and Herrera, uh, well, from, formerly from uh, Kaiser Chiefs, I mean, and Hector Herrera. So all te- four of those players with 10 or more interceptions, St. Louis has eight players with 10 or more interceptions. It speaks to the pressing, but it also speaks to, I think, where you're going to find um, that St. Louis is going to have maybe a higher percentage pass completion. You're going to see the ball being played differently in this game by St. Louis than you may have before, where the team's not expecting to intercept the ball. They Houston may be expecting to prevent chances or create clearances in the box, let St. Louis do work, and then stop them deep. Hmm. So that's an interesting thing to watch out for. And then only three players on Houston have double-digit key passes. Talking about um, Karaskia with 21, Hector Herrera with 19, and the aforementioned uh, Amine ba- uh, Bassi with 18. So St. Louis has four. We know Edward Leuven, Nico Giochini, Indiana Vasilev, and Jared Stroud. Those are kind of the three players to watch, though. Um, Karaskia, Herrera, and Bassi as far as who's going to be facilitating the ball into the box and creating the key pass that goes to the shot. Now, quickly, I do. I like to set the stage, too, for some of the, the players because people might not be as familiar with the specific names and who they're watching out for, especially for those listening on the Big 550 KTRS. You're about to watch the game, and so it's nice to know who you should look out for. Hector Herrera, number 16 on the field. We've talked about him. Amin Bassi, number eight, is their forward. He leads the team with six goals and has an assist. And then um, uh, Abed Buerto Karaskia, number 20, their forward. Artur, number six, their defensive midfielder. Corey Baird, who we haven't even talked about yet, number 11, been playing the central role. And I, I like what Phil has in our notes is that he reminds me of Nico Giochini in some ways. And the last couple of players I'll mention real quick are a couple American uh, uh, defenders who they do have some injuries here. So needing to see a lot of action, we're, we're going to hear from Ethan Bartlow and Daniel Starris. They're U.S. defenders, and they lead their team in clearances with 69 and 36, respectively. They're going to get a lot of action as Houston invites us deep into the box. Yeah, and, you know, Corey Baird reminds me of of Nico in that they're kind of um, both, like, hustler American style forward players that can play centrally and that, but they also like to play off players. Um, but you know, they both have had just like just below national team level, uh, careers so far. And, um, you know, they both just have some attacking talent that just explodes out of nowhere at times. And so it'll be interesting to watch them both play in this game, I'm sure. And Ibrahim Aliu seems to be their, uh, central forward, their striker. And he doesn't have much history. He just came from Zagreb in Croatia, Dinamo Zagreb. And, boy, I just thought he looked really good in that game against Vancouver. He didn't do anything that would pop out on the the stat sheet, but he looks like a number nine. And I guess right now uh, with us missing Klaus, I think I was wishing for a little more of that. But he's, you know, he puts a good shot on frame almost every time he's a physical player. He can dribble, but most of the time he's in the box in a good spot. And I liked watching him. One player, too, talking about their attack that I wonder if we might see this weekend, hearkening back to the rotation that Santi mentioned, is Sebastian Ferreira. Their number nine, where's the number nine? Paraguayan DP forward, who's only started two MLS games 
along with two Open Cup games since opening day this year, and he hasn't played for more than 56 minutes in a single game. He seems like he's obviously on the outs from their ideal starting 11, and I wonder if he might be a player that we see uh, as opposed to playing him in the U.S. Open Cup, which he has been so far this season. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the one thing about him um, that I saw, because, yeah, since he hasn't played much, uh, there has been a, a lot of uh, comments about it, being the DP, why mm -hmm. he doesn't play. And um, I think it goes back to what you were saying about Houston playing uh, Benny Ball. Uh, what I have heard is that... Um, is that the coach doesn't um, doesn't think um, doesn't see Ferreira as a player that can give them the defensive play that mm. he's looking for? So that's one of the reasons why he hasn't seen much time. But thinking about the rotation, maybe we will see him uh, on Saturday. Yeah, uh, we don't have time to go deep into the keys of the game, so I think we'll hit that in um, our second segment in the wind down but guys let's dig into uh what we think will happen what kind of lineup we'll see matt of course why don't you lead us off with with your thoughts i just went with what's been working with us berkey hebert bartlett parker Nowinski, blome leuven ostrock vasilev pompeo and Jokini. it is the same lineup minus stroud who's suspended plugs in tomas ostrock who has had a good run of form coming in as a sub lately and he hasn't had much time to start except for Open Cup and uh, a few weeks ago. But I think it's his time. I think he deserves it. And other than that, keep it the same. Um, Johnny Nelson was the only other question I had. And mm -hmm. I kind of just chose to keep our back line consistent from our two wins. What do you think, Santiago? I have something. Well, I guess not similar. But I actually have Nelson in the lineup. I have us uh, Berkey, and then Barlett, Parker, Heaver, three in the back, and then Nelson and Anderwinski as uh, defensive wingbacks, and then the the, the usual suspects: uh, Blom, Leuven, Basilev, Bakini, and Celio. So basically, I'm inserting Nelson for uh, Stroud and That's... changing uh, the back, going with uh, with five in the back. Yeah, I love the Fallout episode you guys are talking about. We're probably going to see a lot of that when, when Nielsen comes back. But Santiago, why? Why Nelson over Hubert, in your opinion, at, at that position at least? Well, I like the flexibility that Nelson can can provide when, when the team is attacking. Mm -hmm. And um, having three in the back will give him more freedom to, to go and attack, look for crosses, uh, and uh, do what he does so well, which which is uh, attacking when the team is in attacking mode, and, and he goes out there and and he has had a well, he didn't get the assist uh, on on a on a couple just because of technicalities, but he <laughs> had a couple of good plays where we should have gotten an assist, and uh, he's good with the crosses. So I think this will help um, the team. Um, attack Houston and at the same time you you have your three center backs um back there so I think he will free to to attack and um maybe the city will attack Houston from that left wing so th that's the only thing that it will provide more flexibility attacking I'm... but um just thinking about Matt's lineup it could also be that so we'll see 
No, I'm with you. If, if, I think if we're going to give Nelson a start, I think this is a good game to do it because I think we have we hold a lot of cards against Houston. Houston, it seems like we've been doing really good, really well against teams that um, have a lot of game conge- fixture conge- congestion. It worked against Vancouver. We've seen it in the past with other teams. I think Kansas City. So I think they're going to rotate. I think Santiago's right. And I think you give Nelson a chance to redeem himself, to put in a really good 90 minutes and to be a defensive stalwart, but also show why he should start over Hebert at left back. And that's the offensive um, contributions like you were talking about, Santiago, because I do think Hebert is very one-dimensional when he gets into the final third, which has been fine. He hasn't been bad by any means. No hate here. But in MLS, eventually uh, defenders are going to start catching on that you're clearly going to cut it back inside and pass it centrally. So um, he either needs to start adding dimensions to his attack, Hebert, or I think eventually we're going to need Nelson to step back into that role. So um, really good predictions, guys. That's it for our show today. Uh, Please do join us on the podcast if you're enjoying this. You can listen to a little bit more in depth leave us a review like we said it just really helps us i appreciate it if you do thanks for listening everybody this is the big 550 ktrs we'll talk to you guys soon go city everyone for joining us in the wind down it has begun there it is there it is i usually speak right over your pop in your your beer i always forget to tell you that i'm planning on doing it <laughs> i should know moved, i should know moved from the na oh. to the, the urban chestnut today there you go so i meant to uh, mention this when when we were recording um but we can mention it now Availability report has Rasmus Alm and Klaus listed as questionable. Huh? We've seen Klaus questionable before, though, right? The last time Klaus, we trained half uh, of well, last, last, last week he was listed as out. Okay. You figure he's questionable, though, because Carnell still said that he has one more kind of yeah. pass, which yeah. was the same thing yeah. last time. Two week, I think it was two weeks ago when he was listed as questionable. Two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. So yeah. I... To be honest, I think it's going to be the same thing. I wouldn't rush it in the form that our... Like, we talked about sticking with the same attacking lineup, uh, minus Stroud, who's by... Uh, we can't have him. And I think that speaks to why you rest Klaus. Give him that extra time. Yeah. I'm going to actually look up our schedule and see... Oh, what? June's rough, man. Why do they do June. this to us? June. Well, there's the Dallas game, so we shouldn't have had six matches. Yeah. I keep saying we have five and a half in June just because of that 40-minute. You know what? I just want him back for Nashville. Maybe LA Galaxy. I don't know what they're going to be like. but You know what's so unfortunate about Nashville? Hmm. Is Jabulu Blom is probably not going to be available because he's going to be playing for South Africa. And of all games, to not have your best defensive midfielder really going up against a potential league MVP in Hani Mukhtar... How unfortunate is that? I agree. And you know what Nashville's like. I mean, we're going to have to break them down the hard way. And, you know, being able to throw everyone forward, you guys said it, that 
Leuven doesn't have to worry about what gets behind him when Blom is there. Um, mm-hmm. He's going to have to worry that game, you know. Miggy yeah. Perez is going to have to come in huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, but we. I think. Yeah, I think we were. I think you were there, Matt. We were talking about it. Or maybe you were. You weren't there. It was earlier this week. John was saying that um, a lot of times it's like between the team and the federation kind of work things out. Oh the yeah, player yeah. Has like, like a game the day of or the day before like the day camp starts and yeah yeah and i think it's in their best interest for him to play a match instead of playing tomorrow and then not playing until he gets his he's in camp so it'll be interesting to see you would think you would think but i think the match that he might make is the galaxy match isn't it because that's on sunday and then they're supposed to report to camp on that day of the galaxy match it's the they actually South Africa has a has a game on the oh uh, okay so so I I was uh yes okay so is is the Galaxy one is the one that is kind yeah of it's in Sunday the Sunday at noon game on uh, the eleventh that he may make okay. if that's the case that's the the toe in the line hmm. okay I thought it was the it was the Nashville game that it was the one that was borderline yeah unfortunately they have a game against Morocco on the seventeenth okay so yeah he. He won't be. He won't be here unless he doesn't get called up. Oof! I almost I made a, a joke a joke about COVID, but I, I will choose not to. <laughs> let's. Yeah. I shouldn't yeah, have even not, mentioned let's it. Let's not put any of the bad juju out in the world. Yeah, exactly. Um, let's get to the listener questions, um, and maybe we can come back to that. Uh, we got to talk about uh, Hebert being gone too. So. Uh, but the first question comes from at STL, well, STL City Italians. It's a cool account. If you were fan of Steel, who would you go after this summer window? He said he, he said he prefers to go the U23 route. I don't know if he said that. We've said that. Uh, we, have, we have. I have said it a lot. Yeah, me but too. I, think he has. <laughs> he, I think in the sense of like a lot of the players that he's brought on currently are U23 in like a borderline yeah he's just basically saying yeah there's probably someone young we can develop and sell on someone else said that this week um he's mentioned is miggy the only replacement for bloom can we find an alternative what do you guys think about position or what type of player we get this a lot but it's kind of different every week because right now like would you say we should get a left back because i wouldn't have said that four weeks ago I still wouldn't say it just because I don't think Nelson's done anything detrimental to lose a spot. I think if anything, Hebert's just shown his uh, how invaluable he is on the field. And so it's added depth at that position. And um, on that same line, though, Jabulu Blome has shown some flexibility to right back. So yeah. he's, he's now showing up two games at that right back, right wing back position. Uh, where he played for Kaiser Chiefs. And so that's an interesting wrinkle in our previous thought of needing to get depth at the right back position, which I still think that's that's one. So my answers would remain the same as they were before striker and right back. I think we need more depth up front, especially with Sam and Denneron out on loan. Mm-hmm. I don't know how he would or will perform when he is eventually recalled. I don't. I just don't know what that scenario is. So I still think we need somebody in the same mold of a Joao Klaus. And somebody at right back that can push Jake Nerwinski, not necessarily expecting anybody to overtake Jake Nerwinski. I just think we need actual depth there um, that may have a little flexibility elsewhere on the field. Um, counter to that, though, would be more defensive mid-depth 
because you're leveraging some of those players as depth pieces elsewhere. You mentioned Blome, Leuven can be moved up front, and so they can fill in gaps elsewhere. Um, you know, another option at defensive mid with Miguel Perez kind of it wouldn't hurt. Mm-hmm. But we're we're limited on roster slots. We yep. have yeah. We have very few open roster slots. We talked, uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think it was two, possibly three, depending on what we do with uh, Lucas Bartlett when Joachim Nilsson comes back. Right. So two slots, is that would max out our roster. And we don't have very many players on a one-year contract. So there are considerations for if you sign somebody, you're going to have to make decisions on who you're not going to bring back because your roster is going to be maxed out. Did Sam leaving open a slot? We've talked about that, surely. While he's on loan, but he's still signed through next year. And so okay. we would have to move him if we signed somebody and wanted to keep that person. Interesting. Santiago, any other thoughts? I agree with you, Matt. Uh, for me, definitely a striker. Yeah. That's where we need more depth. And um, it'll be great if it is a, a young guy, the... Under 20 World Cup is going on right now. Um, I'm hoping uh, City has some scouts there and <laughs> is looking for some talent. Uh, I really think we should go the the U2 initiative route um, just from the flexibility. Like if you're going to spend a bunch of money and spend it in a player with, with a future that can make a difference here for a couple of years and then you can make a profit selling him to uh, Europe. Here's a fun one. Uh, Joseph Iliff, I'm going to spread his questions. I usually save them for the end, but let's get one in nice and early here. It's a fun one. Does Tim Parker get to play in this game since Houston Dynamo is paying half of his salary? That's a fun one. <laughs> I Okay, so I, I tweeted that out while we were at training today because uh, we're recording this Thursday uh, because I just had that epiphany and I remembered it and I was like, I want to get this out in the world. And <laughs> I, I looked at it uh, while I was there and I found a report from Dynamo Theory the former SB Nation Dynamo blog that had a sourced report that it was $425,000 of Parker's salaries being picked up by the Houston Dynamo this year and next. Mm. And it, it just so happens, as as it would, that that number minus his salary would take Tim Parker just below the maximum individual roster budget charge, meaning that say, because they're having the Dynamo pay that portion of his salary, St. Louis doesn't have to spend Gamer Tam on his, uh, on his salary. They can just, he's a player who is under that max. And I thought, I I told the guys in the media room today, before we were interviewing the coach and players, I said, I'll, I'll, a beer's on me if anybody asks Tim Parker what it's like to play against a team that's paying half his salary. (laughs) So that needs to happen. Tom Timmerman did it. He asked him. Oh, nice. So you, yeah. want, yeah. you want Tom a beer? Of all people, of all people, Timmerman took me up on it. He snuck it in in, in the midst of his questions. And uh, credit to Parker. He blew it off in appropriate fashion. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> no credit to Parker for blowing it off. I think it was in funny. the sense of like, have you ever played uh, Have you ever played on the field where both teams are paying your salary? <laughs> Parker's right. Yeah. No, no, I don't think I have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, but, yeah, that's the class I, move. I, yeah, I like that Tom uh, made it happen. But yeah, <laughs> both of them ha- handled it very well. Um, St. Louis Stars asked, uh, "What do you guys think about flying to Dallas for forty minutes of a game?" 
Remember uh, when we that match happened and it was abandoned, and Carnell the next week started referring to it as like the most expensive training day, where they they yeah. got in. I, I think it's the same scenario. I think it's just a, an expensive training day where they're going to have to show up, rally for forty minutes, which probably mm-hmm. isn't too different from a, a load day midweek anyway. So it's a it's it's dumb to have to fly down there to do it, but at least it's free and. I think if they can fit it in uh, to make it seem like in the flow of everything that they get guys minutes that they would normally during that kind of a day in training, because it'll probably be it's it's Wednesday. So, you know, it's a heavier day. I think it could be fine from a player perspective. Athletic wise, physicality wise, it seems like they'll be fine. You know, they yeah. could. It won't yes. affect their gameplay yeah. on on the next Saturday, so that's good. Uh, what will be interesting to me is if City wins this Saturday. Maybe um, obviously you have to start with the guys that were there, but mm-hmm. maybe some of the guys who were on the bench in Dallas and had not seen a lot of minutes, maybe hmm. they will get some minutes against Dallas because getting three points on Saturday will give you more flexibility about rotating guys. So we'll see. And, and in that match, so we know that there's only you, – you're limited to who's who was on the roster during that match. And, Santi, you mentioned uh, that there are caveats to that, like if an injured player, things things to that nature. But the lineup we had on the field, for, for Dallas, they're without Paul Areola, who was subbed out with an injury in the first half. So that's a benefit for us. Mm. But our lineup on the field at the time that it was called – uh, was a, more or less a 4-4-2. We had Leuven, Perez, Vasilev, Ostrak, Joachini, and Celio Pompeo on the field. And our back line was our regular back line of Johnny Nelson, Tim Parker, Lucas Bartlett, Jake Nerwinski. Kyle Hebert was on the bench. Jabulu Blom was on the bench. Hmm. Jared Stroud was on the bench. So there's depth options in that game. And you have a lot of flexibility, if you're City, on who you can play in that. So to me, it's... Carnell should be treating that like he wants to get minutes for guys that in a midweek fashion and while still trying to put out the best lineup. But starting with those guys I mentioned is going to be important um, because they have five subs in 40 minutes and they can kind of, I think, go all out more so than we've ever seen City do before. Yep. Next two questions we kind of have touched on a lot, but um, and we kind of just touched on it really. I'm going to skip over that. STL City Italians asked where our weakest areas of the team are. And we kind of covered that in like who we would who would we put on there? The one the one thing I'll say, though, is I don't think we have very many weak areas as we've been playing. You could argue on individual performances going through their ebbs and flows. Like you could argue that Tomas Ostrak hasn't performed as we would expect him to consistently. Mm. Uh, and it could be a combination of others shining and giving opportunity to those in form and him performing well as a sub, like Jared Stroud. We never expected him to do what he's doing. Uh, you could argue that our striker position was weak, but now that Celio Pompeu stepped in and you have the combination of Indiana Vasilev with Pompeu and Joachini, that that's no longer a, an issue from a, a issue of strength and weakness. I mean, you could... When you're winning and you don't have any glaring holes, it's difficult to say you're weak at any one position. We saw what was happening with our striker position, so that's the obvious 
answer in the last five games or so. But, you know, when you're winning, it's everything's coming up roses. Yeah, it is. Um, let's talk about City, too. Just so the ILF also asks about they've won some games recently. Has any player stood out enough to be considered for promotion? Santiago, I think you were the one that tweeted that um, Johnny Klein has uh, been rumored to maybe get another appearance soon, maybe even this weekend, but he wasn't in training. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I didn't tweet it. We, oh, we sorry. talk about it on our, on <laughs> our DMs. <laughs> sorry but, about that. No, no, but yeah, I was thinking about it yeah. when we were about to uh, record the podcast, so I, it's good that you brought that up. Yeah, Carnell, um, this week when he was asked about Stroud being out and what options were available, um, he mentioned that Klein may, may have a second stint with um, the main team. But when I didn't see him um, yesterday, I thought maybe maybe he will get it against Dallas because if yep. if he comes on that four day, he can he could potentially be available for the game against Dallas. And uh, oh, never mind the games again. The game against Galaxy is on a Sunday, so no, that it's well, four days, right? Yeah, it's four days, but he'd also have to be an injury replacement for somebody in Dallas. Hmm. Okay, so yeah, so yeah, never mind. Um, so not in Dallas, but maybe we'll see him for Galaxy. But yeah, he uh, mm-hmm. he was like, yeah, Johnny Klein may may get another another chance, and and he was smiling. So maybe it will happen um, <laughs> soon. Um, uh, okay. other other city two guys though that have been impressing, um, <laughs> Faisal Batashi, like as an attacker, he's shown a lot of promise coming from Queens Park Rangers and um, Michael Venzel coming out of the Regionalia. Is that how you pronounce that in Germany and former product of uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach's Academy. Yeah. He's performed well at center back. He's really awesome. one of the very few players who, if he hasn't played every single game, he's played almost every single game and has been a stalwart, whether they're running with a mostly city lineup or not mm. this, this mm-hmm. last this last match, I think it was, that they ran out nine players who were signed to City contract. The only two starters not on X were uh, Oliveras, were Ashi and Wenzel. Oh, okay. They started Creek that game. Creek, you're right. Yeah, Creek Sorry. started. Yeah. So th- those two for me, and then you have your obvious ones that have kind of gone. We have a handful of guys who like are quiet for periods of time, but they're very notable in moments and like Fritz Vollmer is obviously one of those guys. Mm-hmm. Caden Glover, obviously one of those guys, Johnny Klein, like Santi talked about. Uh, and then you have Max Schneider who is just quietly doing his thing in the defensive midfield signed to a city contract loaned down for the season. He hasn't done anything to not impress. I would say. Yeah. To add to that, um, you know, asking STL City Italians asked, like, what would we do with Blome out? Um, we do have a lot of depth there because we can stick Watts in that role other than Miggy. Um, and honestly, I would seriously like to see how Schneider could do um, in that role on the MLS side. I don't know about roster slots being available for that kind of thing, but still, um, Schneider's looked really good with City too, quietly, I think. Um, but you know, I want to say something about that last game. Since someone asked about City 2, like, no one should escape uh, the wrath of a fan. <laughs> and this is a fan podcast. 
And um, man, City looked incredible in the first half of that game against North Texas. They looked like they should have scored like 10 yes. goals. And I think there were a lot of posts hit and close calls, really good saves. Um, but my goodness, the second half, they let in like two weak goals um, to North Texas. And the game ended 2-2 two to two and it felt like an absolute loss. It, I was so frustrated at the end of that game. The guys were either tired or not trying as hard. Um, at not the end of the game, but like the end of the time, you know, before all the, the MLS senior players were pulled out. You just didn't look right. Something was not going well, and I think the goals were were part of that. And you know, I think um, anytime it, it's happened against us too, against the senior team. Anytime a team gets a million chances and then misses a bunch, or they get saved too many times, you start feeling like they're going to end up losing that game. And and that could have just been that game. Um, and I get that because City too looked incredible in the first half, just like. They should have looked with that many starting players against a two team. So I'm not complaining about that, but it bothered me um, losing, you know, drawing that game 2 2. Um, but the other thing I wanted to say about Batashe is that um, he's really good, but I think he needs a good finisher alongside him. So I don't know if he would yeah. be a good teammate with Nico, but I think I'd like to call him up once Klaus is, is back in the team and see what he and Klaus can do up top. That would be fun. He, he's ex, he's an exciting guy, just like Johnny Klein is. Yeah. The one thing that I was not impressed with in that game recently with City 2 is the left side of our offense hmm. with Selmer Pedro and Isak Jensen. I don't know if it was oh, yeah. individually, <laughs> but man, did they not gel well together. There were moments of visible frustration, especially by Pedro, when he would try to play a ball to Jensen and Jensen would divert to another side of the field and Pedro would try to make a run past him or something. And I don't want to read too much into it, but it just, it was consistent enough to where it was more than a, huh? It was a, Oh, wow. (laughs) And, and so I, I want to see obviously more of Pedro. I definitely want to see more of Isaac Jensen. I think he's in his natural position there on the left side. He has a lot of promise, just like Pedro has on the left side at left back. But maybe it's more of a familiarity. I don't know what has been going on with either of them in training or off the field. But that was a notable, odd thing to see. Yeah, both of us noticed that. I'm glad you brought that up because, yeah, it looked off. It looked like I, I try to bring up the negative things too when I notice them. I just I don't happen to notice them very often. No, totally. And I I tend to uh, dwell on the negative stuff a little more than I should. So we're we're a good team in that way. There you go, um, Matt. I I think that's all of our listener questions. I think one last thing, um, just like that, Kyle Hubert's going to the Gold Cup. Like we wish him well. Yeah. Um, I hope you know. I hope Canada continues to play a, a three center back system because I think he's going to fit in really well. And I think his competitors are like his same age and same profile in MLS. And I think the more he plays for City, and the more he continues to do well and put up good stats, just like his, you know, one of the top um, dual percentage guys, one v one, in the entire league. Um, and you know, I think was there an article this 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 week about Hebert? How? No, it was just I think you guys talked about a quote from Bradley Carnell or something about oh, yeah. how he's he he needs to own that he's a starter now. Yes, it's his first year, but he's also a starter. He's a regular, um, he, and that's he, that's a different mentality. Yes, and it was something that Carnell mentioned as he 
working very specifically with Hebert to develop him. And, and it gave vibes of the way he's talked about Miggy Perez mm. because Carnell, he, he seems to see very clear potential in these young guys who, whether they were not given option opportunities in the past, or they've really just exploded in the city organization, city system, uh, Perez and Hebert seem to like carry a lot of the same comments from Carnell and developing him in new ways for him to be useful in the national team or to grow his game, whether it's moving outside, being attacking minded in certain scenarios, but just continuing not just to elevate the game that he's so well adept in, but growing and expanding his areas of expertise to be more useful in more ways. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad you brought up Miggy too, because um, I, I'm going to be that guy. He is Amazing, and the fact that he scored that goal, and it's his second goal of, of the season in all league play, in all play, and um, he's been amazing. Uh, but he's it's really interesting to see Jabulo Blom Blom come into the game and see the parts of Perez's uh, game that are still missing. Like the fact that Jabulo yeah. Blom he can read the game unbelievably well. I think he's one of the the best on our team at reading the game defensively. And so, like, that shines massively that Miggy has a ways to go in reading the game and confidence going forward. Um, it's fine. Like, he does such a good job at at pressing and, and doing a lot of things. But it's it's cool to see Blom come in and see what a quality player we have in him and see, you know, what Perez needs to grow into because what I'm getting to is, sorry, I'm doing this slowly, is that the U-20 World Cup, the next round, he's going to be in that age group, right? And I was arguing that maybe he could have gotten a call up um, if one or two guys dropped out of this one. Um, the guys I talked to disagree, and so they would know better than me. But in the next yeah. one, like he needs to be there. And I think doing some of the things that Blom does is like I think really good goals for him. And I think Carnell's you know clearly treating him that way to like make sure that he's ready um, when his when his number is called for the national team as well. Yeah, there, we were we were spitballing in the media room today of. Uh, who is who potentially on a roster would be the first person to get a call up to the national team. Mm. And prevailing opinion is that it's really not legitimately, if you're being practical about it, nobody on our current senior roster is going to get a call up anytime soon. You see guys like Nico Joachini, Indiana Vasilev as the most likely, but it's going to take a, a long, good run of form for them to crack even a, secondary type roster because they weren't listed on preliminary rosters mm -hmm. earlier this year for nations league where we know, or we we've heard that the gold cup roster will be mostly different from the nations league roster that that rumor came out a week or so ago. So even at that level where a gold cup roster, I don't think Joe Keeney or Vassilever there. And it's kind of unfortunate because if you think about it from a longer run of form, maybe a year, year and a half into doing what Vasilev has been doing the past couple of games or uh, Nico in a good run of form this year, they consistently keep that up. Yeah, there could be an opportunity, but it's going to be few and far between maybe a friendly or something. It's unfortunate because this time period right now where you're having essentially two separate U S national team rosters in two important cups, two important tournaments. Uh, there's an opportunity for a lot of different talent and we just don't have the timing right for anybody from city to get there. What we do have is, like you said, Miguel Perez in the U-20 World Cup. We have Caden Glover, who could be eligible for in two years, in four years even. And then at that point, Caden Glover, if he continues to 
elevate his game the way we hope that he can, there's an eye towards what might he do in the next World Cup cycle, mm-hmm. you know, after the, the the next couple of U20 World Cups. So there's a lot of potential there. It's just none of it is immediate right now. And so you look to Miguel Perez and you look to Caden Glover as another reason why you want them to continue on the, traje- the trajectories that yeah. they are. And even younger. I mean, yeah, the future is bright for sure. Uh, Our academy has to be littered with players who we're going to be talking about in this context here soon. And I'm sorry to extend this longer, but like I forgot who wrote it, but the article about like the fact that Miguel Perez would not just the fact that we have an MLS club in St. Louis now means Miguel got the looks that he's getting. Like if we had a team five, 10 years ago, U.S. soccer would be better off for it because we would have had players like him. You know what I mean? And and if City wasn't here, Miguel would have been totally passed over. You know it's true. And there's a there's a difference between keeping highlighted and does discovered talent local. Mm-hmm. So when you're talking about guys who are developed through Scott Gallagher, Lou Fuse, developed through colleges in the area, and they go elsewhere in the draft, in other academies, like there's a difference in that versus what happened uh and i know miguel perez had uh he had a local academy that he was a, a part of our club team rather but you're talking about where lutz and vin when it first started were going to every high school every tournament in the area that they could find to see who is falling through the cracks it's that before you get to they're not staying local because we don't have an mls team it's they're not giving they're not being given an option or a chance at an academy or a club team at a high level in the area because they've just been missed. Mm -hmm. And so that's the piece at that level and even below that we're going to see, to your point, massive benefits for for City going forward that could continue to elevate us on the national team stage. Agree. We lost Santiago for a minute. He just reminded us that he's here. Oh, that actually is probably showing up on the stream. Um, Santiago, your choice. Anything you'd like to talk about? Uh, We're glad you're back. Maybe he's not back. He's back in text form. Okay. <laughs> well, Matt, um, your choice then. Is there anything you want to touch on? Because we skipped over a lot of your a lot of your notes tonight because it was a bit chaotic. Yeah, I put too many notes like I usually do. But I do want to circle back to the Houston Dynamo match. And I know, I know we, we went a lot on different stats. I know we want, went long on um, specific players. But some things that City can do going into Houston to... Make sure that we're we're sticking to our principles to mitigate some of the strengths that they have and to target some of their weaknesses. I think City should, in essence, do our thing, be ourselves, defend well, and you win. So the second balls, if we can win them, are huge. It doesn't have to be pretty, and a counterattack goal will definitely be nice. Phil, you had that one spot on, mm. and and it's in the sense that look look back at the highlights of the Vancouver and Houston match. Look at the very beginning of that match, the way that Vancouver scored their first goal was on a long ball that was essentially a counterattack from when Houston had possession. And they were able to recover the long ball in the box and create a second chance, a second ball to the other attacker that Brian White found right off the bat. And that if we could do that and we could do that early and often, we're going to be in good shape. And, and similar to that, second chances in transition are going to be huge. 
So it's winning the headers and ensuring that our overloads are present in the offense, where we can put multiple guys in the similar area. Whether you have a ball being played to Nico Joachini, who can dump it off to Indiana Vasilev, it's the simple concept of you're going to be in transition a lot and being able to win second chances in the transition and putting numbers next to those second chance wins. I also think that if we can keep our line in close space between the center backs, we're going to have a lot of success. So we know that uh, Bassi can be a line breaker on some of those long balls. He scored a goal against Vancouver this exact way where it was, uh, I hearken back to a few matches. I think it was a Chicago match. Um, one of the matches we had earlier this year where it was Pedro in at left back and we had the, we had a line broken by the attacking player. The ball was sent long and we weren't able to, we weren't able to keep that line straight. And when that was lost, like Asi can do, that's how you let a, a player in between the center backs, keeping those lines, closing the space between the center backs, huge. And we talked about Houston's adeptness at the wing attack on the left side, especially. So Julian Gressel was very, uh, I would say emblematic of how we need to attack this. So whether it's defending their left-hand side attack and what Bossy and what Hector Herrera can do or pushing ourselves, wide attacks are going to be very deadly against Houston. If we can create chances wide through Ostrot crosses, through Celio Pompeu going and digging a ball out, through our fullbacks pushing high up on the field, we're going to have a lot of success sending crosses in because Vancouver showed this most recently that Houston is vulnerable for that. Yeah, I'm you know, curious vice versa. on that one, just to cut, yeah. like cut in there because... Please cut me off because I talk for way too well, long. Well, it's just like the Nelson thing, you know, Leuven yeah. often goes to the left side and then sends it in like all the time. So that's like a thing. So do we need Nelson? Not necessarily, but if we're on the run and we want to send a cross in, Nelson's one of the best guys. And I agree with you, Matt. I saw that too. Like their center backs are vulnerable on crosses. Like it is a good way to get at Houston. Um, but like my other question is like, who are we going to cross it into? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yes, we can hit the back post to someone like Stroud or, um, uh, geez, who's another, like if Alm plays, I could see him tapping it in, but I don't know if Nico's going to be the guy to head one home. So like, that's been worrying me, but I don't know. I was, there were a lot of technical things going on. Did you say anything about second balls? Because that's yes. Yeah. I think that's massive as well because I think that's what Vancouver was really beating Houston on was getting those second yes. balls that drop in the box. They're early, like the goal in the first or second minute was exactly that. It was a long ball. They got to a second ball and scored a goal. It, if I cut out, take my word for it because I, I, I said that exact same thing. And oh, sorry. So, so key to it. No, I love that we came to the same conclusion on <laughs> weren't hearing each other. But to your point though, I think Nico Giochini could have a different role in not playing the ball to him in the, in the attempt to score a goal. But if he can hold a line, properly and allow Indiana Vasilev to play off of him. That's a role that he can really play yeah. in receiving a ball from out wide. Totally. Sorry. I cut you off though. If you had more to say, I'm sorry, I repeated you. <laughs> oh no, it's perfect. I love it. And it's shutting down Houston's long passes was one of the other things I had. Um, second to last thing, I promise playing the ball and attacking where it will be when it arrives, not, not allowing any given goes are going to be huge because if you look at any of the highlights, any of the match footage from Houston, when Hector Herrera plays the ball up and into the box, they have a lot of give and goes. They have a lot of um, tic-tacas that they play really quickly right there. So they have some short successive passes that they try to make space inside the box. And so remember the stat that I mentioned on the first part of the show, 
All of their goals minus one have come from inside the box, and that's how they play it with these quick passes up and in. So if we can shut down long passes that get to that point where they can then start playing the ball in, we're going to have success. And the last thing I'll say, I promise, is cleaning up the junk. If we can put balls on target when we're in the offense and we know where the ball is going to be on rebound, picture the Edu Leuven free kick, Tomas Ostrak perfectly timing his run to, to gather that junk and then crossing it over to Maggie Perez. That's, that's exactly how we can score a goal against Houston. Vancouver did this, and they did it well. Um, so Houston, so we did it against Vancouver. Vancouver did it against Houston. There's opportunities there, whether it's off of a free kick, whether it's off of a set-piece corner, or just in the run of play. Like, being s- smart and swarming where we can, knowing where the ball is going to bounce in certain scenarios, where we see a shot that comes from distance, and we know that if the keeper's not going to grab it, it's going to go this way or that way. We do. Ostrock in particular was very adept at that against mm-hmm. Vancouver. And so I want to see more of that. And I want to see at least one or two options coming from that. And I know I said that was my last one, but I, I didn't write this down. Set piece, set piece, set piece. We have to be efficient in our set pieces. I'm not asking for a Leuven whirly like we saw or worldly like we saw against uh, Vancouver. I'm just asking for some more continued clinical efficiency in set piece work. Whether it's the set pieces that go on goal, set pieces that go to headers to our our Tim Parker, Kyle Hebert, any of those players, we need to use that as an opportunity and vice versa, defend against Hector Herrera. We cannot, 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 cannot give up a back post goal on a Hector Herrera free kick. I'm not always like this, but I have confidence that the game flow will not allow for Houston to kick the ball around our box it just isn't going to happen you know what i mean so i I think that'll that'll probably be the case i they might get one or two chances of doing that but um you know we'll we'll see um i think we i'm just being real positive i think we line up really well against houston and i look forward to this game i think it's going to be a fun one i think we're going to win by a lot I just have a, a good vibe for this one. I shouldn't say those sort of things, but I'm so have, negative all the time. I thought I'd go crazy on this one and say that uh, I think it's going to be a good day. I what's have the prediction. What's the prediction? Woo, Santiago's Santi's back. back. I'm back. <laughs> I have one. bad feelings when Phil has good feelings. So you probably I'm, should. I have heart palpitations going on right now. We're like a magnet. We're like North and Seoul, South Poles of the magnet. I'm going to say 4-1. What do you think, Matt? Oh, I had 3 nothing. Oh, okay. We're, we're close. I like the break. I like the break. I was I was at the city pavilion. I was at city pavilion today, uh, this afternoon, and was, my birthday's coming up. So I was looking for stuff to give ideas on, and I was gravitating towards these Berkey kits. I'm like, <laughs> man, these these look good, and I just had to go with the Berkey clean sheet. Love it. One, you need one. What do you think, Santi? I have two nothing. Okay. Any, any last thoughts before we go, Santiago? You got to get something in here. We've been talking over you and you've been gone and now you're back. You should say no, something. No, no, I was just listening to you guys, enjoying the conversation. Um, but no, I, I don't have anything to add. Um, just uh, I hope um, we get three points. Uh, mm-hmm. I just didn't like that Matt said that when, when Phil goes like uh, with a prediction like so big maybe or what did you say matt i i mean i i get heart palpitations when phil's so positive about <laughs> a prediction like he's that. like positive that we're gonna get a 4-1 4-1 results i feel i don't know it's phil's positivity that I, <laughs> it sounds so weird to say 
I, I, I don't it. mean it in a mean way because like obviously I love you, man. But like <laughs> I, I'm more I'm more comfortable when I'm the positive person and you're the uh, my gotcha. counterbalance. Uh-huh. And so when I when I hear you be so positive, I'm like, oh gosh, I need to say something negative to like even out the world. <laughs> I like That's it. So, so I need to say something negative. Three zero. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As if it's yeah, I did do that, didn't I? That's as mean as Matt can be. I, less goals scored. Yeah, that's that's, that's as amazing. Mean as I can go. All right, everybody. Well, thanks for joining us. That's it for us today. Uh, look forward to the flyover fallout on Monday, as always. Thanks to Matt and Santiago for doing that. And let's go, City. This is uh, let's go for that win to, uh, this Saturday against Houston. Bye, everybody. Bye, City. Bye.